Amen. Thanks, Aaliyah. Okay, how many of you have actually ever studied the minor prophets? Oh, a few of you. Okay, good. Uh, most of you are going, the minor what? <laughs> so today we're going to be in uh, Jonah. How many of you know the story of Jonah? Everybody? Yeah, pretty much one of the most well-known stories. Jonah and the big fish, right? At one level, it's a very simple story, but at another level, it's theologically very complex. And we're going to get into the whole uh, question of divine mercy versus divine prophecy or judgment, okay? All the prophets have a lot of judgment in them. So I've been, as we've gone through them, what I'm trying to do is build a case when you put all 12 minor prophets together. Remember, the minor prophets are not less important than the major prophets. The major prophets are the big ones. They just cover a lot of territory. And the minor prophets are dealing with specific issues in the northern or southern kingdom. But when you put them and you line them all up side by side, you see an incredible glimpse of God having a line in the sand, because he does, against wicked and evil people. But you also see his compassion, uh, his tender mercy toward the faithful and his patience with those who are wicked. He doesn't give up. I mean, remember the story. So Solomon, 931 B.C., Solomon dies, and he was a terrible leader. We learned from the study of Solomon that all the wisdom in the world is not enough. You need faith. So he ends up very poorly. And so the poor people in the nation have all been taxed and uh, to the extent that he could, and they've been uh, enslaved, many of them, conscripted is what we call it in the Old Testament. And so the people have just had enough. They're frustrated. They're, they're done. So as soon as he dies, the nation, we have a civil war, and they split between the north and the south. The north takes 10 tribes under Jeroboam, and they immediately begin to depart from the Lord and the Mosaic Law. They build their own temples, idols. They have their own worship set and all of that. And so almost all the kingdoms in the nor- almost all the kings in the northern kingdom are evil kings. And so it makes sense that God would go after them first. But he's very patient. He waits 150 years before he sends the first prophet to write. And that was Amos. We saw Amos and Hosea the last two weeks. So each of the prophets has a different message. So Amos's message was real simple. Take care of the poor. Okay? That becomes the centerpiece for almost all of our beliefs. Everywhere you go in the Bible... Uh, Leviticus, when we looked at it last year, two years ago now, wow. Leviticus was um, the heart of the Mosaic Law, and the whole purpose of it was to make sure there are no poor among you. What does James say? This is, this is pure religion that you care for widows and orphans, those in need. And so all the prophets, all the way through, they keep weeding in or they keep putting into this argument that you're not caring for the poor. That's got to be one of our core priorities as a church. In fact, now that we're out of the pandemic and starting to return to normal in a lot of ways, in here we put our finances for the first part of this year, our fiscal year, and we put in there how much we've given to benevolence, food bank, missions, so you can actually see what we're doing. Uh, by the way, that's, that's, uh, that reflects your generosity. We love being a generous church, but you're the ones that give us the funds that make it possible. Thank you for that. I can't say thank you enough. And so we, we, that's a heartbeat of our church. That goes back long before me. So our DNA is involved in local and foreign missions and helping people. So, he, uh, so Solomon dives, kingdom splits into the north and the south. The northern kingdom is on the verge of uh, disappearing. 
God sent to Amos and Hosea. Hosea, by the way, his message was a little different. Quit prostituting yourself to all these other gods. Hosea is the one that married a prostitute as a, a word picture, if you will, to the nation of the northern kingdom. This is what you're doing. You're serving all these other gods and not worshiping the one true God. So both of them had a simple message, your days are numbered. They didn't believe him because when they're writing, uh, they're contemporaries, Amos and Hosea, and the nation's doing pretty well. Okay, remember the story? So you uh, you have the northern kingdom, you have the southern kingdom, and over here you have Assyria. And Assyria had grown... Uh, in power, and they had done some really nasty things to the northern kingdom under King Ahab and King Jehu, okay? And then they kind of weakened. They got some weak leaders. Well, now they get more leaders that are starting to come back, and they're starting to gain in power again. So God is warning the northern kingdom, your days are numbered if you don't turn back, okay? God has a line in the sand. God says, I decide which nation to rise up and which nation to destroy, and so if you study history of the world and look at nations, empires rising and coming, it's a fascinating study, but it's really fascinating when you look at it through a theological lens. In fact, something, if you want to have a fun exercise, chart out your life. Just sit down and, and take some time and chart it out. You know, where have you come from? Look at the high points and the low points. And when you've charted it out, go back and repeat that, but ask the question, what does this look like through God's eyes? Where was God in this? Okay, Uh, Job at the lowest point in his life discovered God was right there. Okay, and you're going to see something very unique when you look at the lens of history through theology and and what God was doing. And so this nation, Assyria, is beginning to grow and he's warning this nation, your days are numbered if you don't turn. Okay, so now this nation, God does something really unique. He sends Jonah and he sends Nahum. They both went to Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the five capital cities for the Assyrians. And it was a, it was a city where almost all of the empire, emperors had their palaces and their homes. So it was really the capital city of Assyria. So there are Assyrians over here. And he sends Jonah over here to warn them, if you will. And then he sends Nahum after they destroy the northern kingdom. So he sends Jonah to warn them. But they don't listen. They do a little bit. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then they come over here and annihilate this kingdom. And so God sends Nahum to say, oh, you're toast. And so the, uh, uh, the Babylonians come in and destroy the Assyrians and they disappear. So all the ancient nations except Israel are gone off the face of the earth. Even Egypt doesn't have, share the same DNA as the ancient Egyptians. And so um, there are no ancient nations that survived. And that was part of the... Whole, that was part of God's prophesying all these nations everywhere in that world, part of the world, because they weren't, wouldn't turn to him. But you capture a sense, and we're going to see this in Jonah, you capture a glimpse of his patience, because he just doesn't destroy the Assyrians. He gives them a chance. Okay, And that's the pattern all the way through the Bible. One of the perennial questions that's asked is, why do the, why do the uh, wicked prosper? Okay, David asked it. Job asked it. Job's friends asked it. And Why do the wicked prosper? It's real simple because God cares about every human and he's giving them patience. He's giving them rope to make a decision. They can hang themselves or turn back to him. He's not in a hurry to end the lives of of rebellious people. He really desires everyone come to know him. That's why the 
That's why the wicked live so long, and that's why they prosper, for that reason. So when we get into Jonah, we're going to be looking at this, this mysterious uh, juxtaposition of this, these two things come together of God's judgment and God's mercy and how they relate and where do we fit into that. So Jonah, at one level, is a very simple story. We teach it you to your kids. You taught it, learned it in Sunday school if you went to church, but at a very, another level, it's theologically very complex and there's a lot of things in there. We're going to talk about a few of those major ones. Let me say a word about justice because as we get into it, because we've talked about this before. Most people, when we think of justice, most of the time what we think of really is vengeance. I want justice because of what they did to my sister or my parents or whatever. What that means is vengeance. But that's not really the Christian definition of justice. The Christian definition of justice is always framed within the context of God's love and mercy, and it's always doing what's best in the other person. So uh, I told you the story several weeks ago of Rachel Den Hollander. She was the first Olympic gymnast to stand up to Dr. come out publicly and say what Dr. Nasser had been doing, how he'd been assaulting all these young girls. She was the first one. So at the trial, he was finally charged with 51 or 52 counts, and he, I think he's serving 52 life, back-to-back life sentences. He's never getting out. So all the girls got a chance to confront him. You can read these online, and almost all of their statements were about vengeance, right? You know, you deserve what you get, and all of that. And um, Rachel's testimony is very different. She's a believer. What she said was, this is a summary. Dr. Nasser, I want you to know that I love you, even though you raped me, and I forgive you. But I do not accept your apology. The reason why I don't accept your apology is because you don't know how badly you hurt me, and so your apology can't be authentic. So here's my prayer for you. This is a glimpse of justice. I pray that God crushes you in prison so that one day you'll realize how much you hurt me. Then your apology will be authentic. So she had already forgiven him. So her concept of justice is what's in his best interest. Justice is not about vengeance. That's what the world thinks. Justice for the Christian is about, uh, and there's nothing wrong with asking God to be harsh in somebody's life. David did that often in the Psalms. Um, when people go to prison and things like that, But the reason we want God to be harsh is so that they will repent and turn, okay? That's why God says, let him get justice. He's much better at it than us. Because here's what happens, honestly, with justice. I want justice for you, Dan, but mercy for me, right? Don't mess with me, okay? (laughs) You see what I mean? We don't want justice for us. That's why Paul lays out the whole scheme, and Jesus does too, about the standard that you use to judge another person is a standard that's going to be used to judge you. And so if you really want vengeance, then get ready. You're in for a ride. And so as Christians, that's not the way we think. We need to train our thinking, reshape it, so that even the worst person to me uh, in my life, we're praying for God's intervention in their life. That's true Christian justice. So, okay, it's hard to forgive people, isn't it? It's easy to forgive people when they come up to you and say, you know, I'm really sorry about what I did, and we can forgive them. It's harder when they don't ever get to that point. That's much harder. It's even harder yet when you despise them and hate them. That's what we're talking about in this story right here. You see, the northern kingdom, just like us, they have a long memory. And Jonah 
is really angry that God sends, because Jonah's from here, the northern kingdom, that's his country, and it's very personal to him. And that's the one God chose to go to the Assyrians to get them to repent and step back. So you get the story? It's not a very happy story for him. So most of you know the story, but we're just going to read the basics to it. God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1. The Lord of the Lord came to the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. He's over here. Go over here to this nation, which is about to destroy you, your enemy, and preach uh, judgment against it. And so what does Jonah do? He says, okay, Lord, uh, I'll go. No, he didn't, did he? Jonah <laughs> ran away from the Lord. How many of you have done that? Okay, so here, yeah, yeah, so I know you have, Rob. Uh, the rest of them are just not telling the truth. <laughs> so here's the northern kingdom, and here's Assyria over here, and Jonah went this way. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. He jumps the ship and heads that way. He wants nothing to do with this, which is interesting because when you look at how God works with the prophets, it's not ambiguous. No, it's never ambiguous. They just didn't like it. The prophets didn't like it, okay? Nobody wanted to be a prophet. I never want to be a prophet. I never want God to say, like he did in Job, have you considered my servant Jim? (laughs) No, I want him to say to Satan, have you considered my servant Rob? (laughs) That's what I want, okay? Which brings up a point in that when you look at how God communicates, it's, it's, it sounds wonderful to want to hear directly from the Lord. Here's my thought, okay? On a continuum of communication down here, God is crystal clear. Jonah, go to Nineveh. On the other end is a still small voice. By God's grace, most of us live here, okay? Here... It's very clear. Here it's not. Here there's no ambiguity. Here there's a lot of gray. Not quite sure what God wants. Here it's you're compelled to do it, and if you don't, it's called sin. Down here you have a lot of freedom. Up here, if you don't do it, the punishment is death. Okay? Paul said, I'm compelled to the point of death to go to the Gentiles. Listen to what Jonah says in chapter 2. As I sank down to the roots of the mountains, because they had thrown him overboard, now he's sinking into the sea. Um, The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, he's down at the very bottom, and he's his final breath, his soul's departing, there comes a fish. So God's sending him a message. The next time he says go, he goes. Okay? Up here, that's what happens if you don't do it. Down here, you have a lot of control and freedom. Okay? So praise Jesus, I'm down here most of the time. All right? I don't like being up here. Jerry, I used you as an example in the first service, so... Hold tight. Our friend Jerry back here has a very, very serious form of cancer. And uh, we've been praying for him. Keep praying for him. He's fighting the hardest fight of his life. Not going to deny it. Okay? So when we talked about this, he's, I, we were talking about 
why me kind of thing, which you should always ask. Everybody should ask that. When you get caught in the jam, why me? That's the best question you could ask. Ignore the pastors that say that's a terrible question. Just trust the Lord. Job didn't do that. Moses didn't do it. Paul didn't do it. Okay? So it must be okay to say, why me? So we were talking about it, and I said, what is the question that you're wrestling with? And he said, well, he and Pam were were trying to learn how to give control over to God, and I actually started to laugh, and I said, Jerry, that happened six weeks ago. The moment you found out you had stage four cancer, you got zero control. Your only option is to say yes or no to chemo. You can't do a thing about it now. That's exactly what happens with the prophets. Now, God doesn't do that with most of us, but he does it with a few of us. Paul Wardlaw, uh, Don Wolf, uh, several of the others in our church that, man, he takes control in a harsh way. There's one right there, Dan. He took control in a very strong way. And your only option is to walk faithfully and do what the doctors say or not. Uh, it's, it's taking control away. And so the reason why God does that, one of the reasons is because we need people like Jerry. We need people like Dan. The, those of you that have been through very severe cancer, okay? I got, the, I got the cancer message five or six years ago. Fortunately, mine wasn't that uh, aggressive, not as aggressive as these guys. But these guys understand faith. They do. And, I, and I, we talked about that. And, and I, when I see these guys, when Don Wolf called me, called me on a Sunday to tell me uh, what was going on with him, uh, my first thought I had, same with, with Jerry. I looked at Jerry when he was telling me and crying. And my first thought inside was, wow, you have a lot stronger faith than I realize because God never does this to people that don't have faith, okay, that don't have strong faith, not to a believer. And so we need these guys because they understand faith and they understand what it means to live on the edge. It's, they know that. And so you're, if you're struggling, you're going to have coffee with these guys, and they're the ones that can help you with it. And so this is what happened to Jonah. Jonah, go. So I like living more down this time, but every now and then God does something up here that we don't have control over. That's what happened when my first wife died. I was holding her when her heart stopped, and I just obviously started to cry, right? And then I started to laugh, and my best friend was with me. He goes, why are you laughing? So the Lord just took away the most important person to me, and my faith is real. Well, what I didn't know back then, I was so young, but now I know is he already knew my faith was strong. Have you considered my servant Job? Right? And so Job, at the very end of his time talking, here's what he says. Where are you, God? If you had the courage to show up, then I would tell you and you would repent. So God... God says, here I am. So, tell me, what was it like when I laid the foundations of the earth? Surely you know, you must have been there. And he goes through a chapter and a half of humbling Job, and Job says, I repent. And God says, no, you're not done yet. Okay, that's part of living life, is you, God takes you through the process of understanding authentically what's happening. So he takes him through another whole test. And then you know what he says? And this is the question that all of Christianity revolves around. He says to Job, what he could have said was that was Satan, but he didn't. He said, would you, Job, would you really annul my judgment? That was my decision. You see, God is God and we are not. Would you really annul my judgment? And then we have the magical words that unlock so much of Scripture When Job says, I repent, I spoke of things too wonderful for me to understand. 
Because, see, as Christians, we live in two worlds at the same time. We live in a natural world, and we live in a spiritual world. And we're very good at assessing this. And this is what drives our fear. But over here is the wonderful part of it. That's hard for us to see. People come to know Christ because of what happens to us. He uses us in a variety of capacities. And so this is the wonderful side that's very difficult to see. Job got it. And he said, I have spoken of things too wonderful for me to understand and see. And that's the way we should all live life when God steps into our world in very intentional ways. It's too wonderful for us to understand. But we can have faith that it is wonderful. We just can't see it. That'll come in glory down the road when we'll see it. And so this is the situation with Job. Go to your most hated enemy. He said, no. I can't blame him. Oh, my gosh. So Job runs the other way. Verse 3. Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound that direction. (laughs) Paid the fare, went aboard, sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Okay. Well, the Lord, God is God. Don't forget it. Verse 4, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So I'm not going to read all the verses in between, but the, the sailors are trying to figure it out. They're throwing everything overboard. They can't fight the storm. And, and Jonah's sound asleep downstairs. And so they finally go down and wake him up and say, what is wrong with you? You know, do you know what's happening? Pray to your God. We're praying to our gods. Pray to your God. And he goes, hey, I don't really have to. I'm running from him. And they were terrified. And he says, the only hope you have is to throw me overboard. And they showed compassion. They didn't want to. They started rowing the other direction quick. And God, the storm got bigger and bigger. God wouldn't let him go anywhere. Finally, they had no choice but to throw him overboard. That was their only option. So then he goes down, sinks to the very bottom. And here's what we read. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. Oh, no, wrong verse. The next verse. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, how on earth did that happen? I got nothing for you. Okay, that's why the church, typically that's a little more liberal than where I sit, says this is a parable. I don't believe it's a parable. Because the reason why they say it's a parable is because obviously this is impossible. Yes, it is, but so is raising Jesus from the dead. Okay, When I come across a miracle in the prophets, I never come to the conclusion it's not real because I believe in a God who does the supernatural. How he did it, I haven't a clue. One of the things I want to do when I get there is say, Jonah, it's time for a cup of coffee. What was that like? Tell me the things that aren't written down. Okay, that's, I want to know about all the things God didn't write down. That's what I want to do. I got a long list of characters. I want to talk to Mary. You know? I do. I want to talk to Ezekiel. Tonight I'm going to take your wife. What was that conversation like that day before God took his life, right? Her life, I mean. Uh, what was that like to know your wife is going to leave you? Uh, what was that like? Moses, what was it like up on the mountain when God took your life? You got to see the problem saying, what was it like? See, those are the people I want to talk to. Those are the people that Hebrews 11 says these great, prof- these great people of faith in the Old Testament, they never got to experience the promise. We do, but they don't. 
And then the conclusion is the world was not worthy of them. These are the greats. I want to sit with all of them and say, tell me what it was like. Tell me the rest of the story. So uh, the great fish comes along. So what does Jonah do? Then the word of the Lord, chapter 3, came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed this time. He had enough of the fish. So he obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Okay. Um, now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to walk through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Get down to verse 10. When God saw what they did, because they ripped their clothes, and they put ashes on, and they repented. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Then why did they turn around and kill the northern kingdom? Destroy it. You have to understand the world at this time. During Advent, I talked about Isaiah 9. The people in darkness have seen a great light. There's no way I can overstate how dark the world was at this time. If you, uh, if you want some time, we can have coffee. If you sit down and read the uh, law codes of the ancient nations and what we've discovered, uh, it was a horrible place. Absolutely horrible. Dark as you could possibly get. Um, a little bit like our world, what's kind of becoming today a little bit. It was a dark place, okay? They were superstitious. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have that insight, the nations, and it was was all based on superstition. That's why the sailors said, get up and pray to your God. We're praying to our gods. Maybe your God will listen. It's very superstitious during this time. Um, So at this particular time in history with Nineveh, the Assyrians, here's what had happened. Remember, these are very superstitious people, okay? Um, Number one, they had been declining for a little while because they had weak leaders, and they had suffered military defeats. That's a strong statement that their God was not, gods were not taking care of them. They're just starting to come up again. But they also, just before Jonah went, 765 B.C., they experienced a severe plague. And again in 759. So we're talking about a seven-year window. And right in the middle of that, they had this incredible solar eclipse. So they were ready to listen to any message from any god. That doesn't mean they believed. They repented. Why? They didn't want to be destroyed. Here you got a prophet saying, 40 days from now, it's, in, it's over. They repented. Of course they repented. That doesn't mean they believed in God. We don't have any of that language in here. They repented because they were superstitious. And what happens right after this? They go and wipe out the northern kingdom when the power came back. The gods must be happy with us because we didn't get destroyed. So let's go do something about it. So why is this important, this story? It, uh, it explores that, that juncture, if you will, between um, judgment and mercy. And it's hard, to, it's hard for us to understand that. I, that's why I said a little bit about that um, in the beginning. They had already committed atrocities and hostility against earlier kings in the northern kingdom. And, and Jonah knew that. Okay, He knew it. And so he really didn't want to go to Jonah, as is obvious from the story. So neither Jonah nor his contemporaries could possibly fathom that God would take a prophet from here and send him to here. Because part of their core belief was that 
uh, God will destroy their enemies. Which honestly is part of our core belief. It's just not won't happen to glory. Okay? That was part of their core belief. And so to be told to go from here over to Assyria to cause them to get them to repent, nobody could fathom that. And that's the story of Jonah. So there's a lot of themes woven throughout here that we could talk about, but I want to talk about a, a big one. Jonah is providing uh, an example, or God is through Jonah, of how the Jews were to treat the Gentiles. So you remember back in chapter 1, the sailors were the ones that showed compassion. All right? Then when you get over to chapter 3, they were the ones who repented. They listened to Jonah. And they believed him. Now, I don't believe their motives were true, but they did listen to him. And in the middle of that, <clears throat> they fasted and they prayed. Uh, and the contrast is Jonah. Listen to chapter 4. Jonah, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. The last verse, God relented. This seemed very wrong. And he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Here you go. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love or loving kindness, a God who relents from sending calamity. So now, Lord, take my life away. I've had enough. I've had enough. He was angry because God rescued the enemy. You understand it? You get it? Well, so God did an amazing thing. He provided a temporary plant to shield Jonah. Jonah had gone out, sat down on a place east of the city because he wanted to watch to see if God was going to destroy it. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen. When the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his comfort, Jonah was happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. God is God, and he knows exactly what to do. What did Jonah say? It would be better for me to die. It's the second time. So then God, he confronts Jonah. He says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is that right? What did he say to Job? Would you really annul my judgment for your own benefit? Would you do that? Same that question, basic question he's asking right here. Jonah said, it is. It is right, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. It's the third time. So he's arguing with God. I just love it. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people, parentheses, whom I created... Who cannot tell their right hand from their left. This is a picture of people without the Lord. Don't be upset with what's happening out here. They cannot tell the left hand from the right. They can't. 
It's not possible. It's intriguing to me in all the coffees and beers I've had with people. Uh, I've done it for 35 years, not just up here. The average American can, can, know, can go about two minutes before they can't answer questions anymore. That's how shallow our thinking is. We call that first-order thinking. We have no idea as Americans how to get to second-order thinking. And that has to do with theology and the way we perceive everything that's going on. So I sit in bars or coffee shops and I talk to people wherever I am. I can just ask them questions. I've got about two minutes before they go, oh, I don't know the answer to that. Not sure. That's because they're not thought through. They don't know. They're living in darkness. Their eyes are blinded. Okay? They can't see. And so they, they grab onto what sounds good when it's not. Sat with a young man at Pub, uh, Pug Ryan's. Told me he was a, uh, a Taoist, which is a sub-religion under Taoism, which is a Chinese religion. I said, Taoist, I've only read about it. It's the first one I met. Tell me about Taoism. He talked for about 60 seconds, and I asked him a couple questions. He couldn't answer them about what the words meant. I said, you want to have coffee? He goes, not with you. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, here's my card. Let me know when you want to have He said, I got a lot of study to do. So about a, a month later, he calls me, and I'm ready for coffee. So we get together. Now we can go five minutes. And I started asking him more words, and I said, you want to have coffee again? Nuh-uh. I got more study to do. He calls me about five or six weeks, and we get together. And he, he can go now about ten minutes, okay? And so... I finally said, all right, it's a free country. You can believe what you want. Your life's not mine. Do you really actually believe what you're telling me? And um, he said, "Uh, I think so. That's the world we live in. They're just like the Ninevites. They're pursuing every God except the one true God. And so they can't see out of the darkness into the light. So what type of person are you? Are you going to be a Jonah? If God routes your worst enemy into your life, or are you going to love him and be compassionate like God? Because God is the one that created them, and they're worthy of your love because they're made in his image. They have dignity. doesn't matter what they believe. Don't ever be ashamed to tell somebody you're a Christian. Their version of Christianity is a stereotype, and you get to reverse it. Call attention to it. So, you don't like Christianity. Have you studied it and read the Bible, or is that you just buy into a stereotype? And you get the funniest responses. But they all bought into a stereotype. Just remember, they're just like them. They're living in dark, dark, dark times, and they can't see the truth. The truth is obvious to you, but not to them. So what type of person are you going to be? Father, thank you for sending us this crazy story. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to ask Jonah what it was like to be inside of a fish. Um, it's beyond my understanding, even my imagination. And yet you were kind to him and got his attention. And uh, thank you for being kind to the Ninevites. They didn't listen. They averted a 40-day calamity and they turned right around and went and destroyed your people. And that's hard for us to understand. Thank you for your goodness. We're very grateful. In your son's name we pray. Amen.